some of the things that I went through growing up also helped me become the woman that I am today mm-hmm. who can walk into a boardroom whether it's filled with men or women whatever gender whatever color whatever age demographic I can walk in and be confident because mm-hmm. there's nothing they can take away from me my life experiences have helped me learn more and be confident in who I am You're listening to the Journey on Earth the podcast where each week I the host Olarato uncover journeys in wellness business parenthood and so much more I also share my own advice that will help you in your journey to living your best life I created this podcast that will not only validate and value our stories but will motivate us to have the courage to continue to build the stories we want for ourselves From time to time I like bringing you some deep dive conversations with incredible guests to uncover their journeys and topics highlighted They also share their secrets to cultivating a good life. So tune in for some good conversation every Tuesday. So before we go ahead and start today's podcast, I really want to thank everyone of you who's been sharing the podcast and who has told me how much they are enjoying the podcast. Cannot tell you this. It's really incredible and affirming to hear from you guys, especially that when I started the podcast, it was only listened by my friends and family. So to hear other voices, it's amazing because it says to me that the stories that I share here are heard by many. So thank you, thank you so much for sharing the podcast. On that note also, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. That's how we get to grow and that's how eventually you will get to have funding for this podcast so that we can bring you more good stuff to the podcast. All right? So that's cool. In our guest seat today is yet another trailblazing woman who I admire so much. Her passion for what she does explains how she became the youngest person to occupy a managerial role at just 25 she became a marketing manager and now she is the head of marketing and communications in today's episode we spoke about how her life experiences shaped her to be the woman she is today a resilient woman who stands her ground solid and continues to reshape the narrative of women in spaces that she leads who am i talking about i'm talking about mani buikanyo and in today's podcast we are talking to the young and dynamic mani buikanyo So let's not waste further time and let's head over to the conversation. I hope that you enjoy it. I did. Your name is Mani Wikanyo. Yes. When I first met you, I remember it was a few years ago and when you told me your name, I wondered which one was the same name or which one was the <laughs> name that you said. Mani was actually your name. Yeah, I uh, get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oftentimes it's Wikanyo that is the name. Mhm. I wish I could have asked more that time and Truly speaking, I was so honored when you said yes to this interview to talk to Aww. you. And I just want to start this by just thanking you for coming and accepting the invitation. So, before we start, I want you to actually wrap us around your story and introduce yourself to our listeners who is Mani. Okay, so um Mani Bigano is a young lady who grew up in Soweto. But the first 10 years of my life I grew up in Hill Hillbro where mm-hmm. my mom was still a single mom and then when I was 10 moved to Soweto and she met the love of her life my dad um I think you saw him he yes. came with me you brought him with you yes a young dynamic passionate black lady um <laughs> who loves living life and who just wants to go above and beyond what her circumstances want to dictate because um obviously growing up I grew up in a very tough environment but I knew that there should be a reason for this experience 
I cannot go through this kind of hell for nothing. <laughs> and um, there's so many things that I've learned um, growing up. And um, I think some of the things that I went through growing up also helped me become the woman that I am today, mm-hmm. who can walk into a boardroom whether it's filled with men or women, whatever gender, whatever color, whatever age demographic, I can walk in and be confident because mm-hmm. there's nothing they can take away from me. My life experiences have helped me learn more and be confident in who I am. By profession, obviously, I'm a marketing and communications uh, manager and um, also doing a bit of a career transitioning as well. I love education i'm pro education i love studying and i also like also being busy and having a 95 that's not really like a 95 mm. <laughs> that adds a bit of flexibility so manibikanya is pro education and pro moving away from the boxes that people want to put you in yeah. and pushing you know through the different circumstances that she goes through. And yeah, that's, I guess, me in a nutshell. Hmm. You mentioned that at some point in your life, you grew up in Hillborough. Yes. And then in Soweto. Mm-hmm. As someone who was raised in Soweto, I know how those conditions can be so bleak for you yeah. to actually, you know, believe in yourself that you can be great. Yes. So oftentimes I ask this question because I also believe that you need to see it around you for you to believe that it's true for yourself. It can yes. be done. Did you have someone in your life who modeled the life that you wanted to live or who inspired you to actually think outside the conditions that you were living in? I wouldn't say I had someone necessarily whose life I wanted to model, Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I drew inspiration from different people around me. So, for example, when I looked at my mother, um, my mom had a a very rough um, time. Both her and my dad actually didn't get an opportunity to finish school. They both didn't get to even finished my trick. I think they got to like grade 10. Back in the day, I think it was, it was about a standard eight or something. Mm. And that's how far they could get an education. Wow. And the only reason was that they both had to leave school mm. to go and find jobs to help their parents put their siblings mm. through school. And my mom, for example, my late granddad had left my grandma with four mouths to feed. And grandma was like, no, sissy, you're the firstborn. So you got to help. We got to help wow, out. Wow. So she had to go do a typing course um, to become a receptionist and somehow be able to help my granny feed her sisters and put her sisters in school. Mm. My dad, same thing, left school when he was younger to also work, um, learn how to do stock taking and those kind of aspects. So it can also help because his mother, mother had passed away mm-hmm. and his granddad um, had, I think, lost his, I mean, my granddad, late granddad as well. I think he had lost his job as well at the time. So literally now the both of them had to leave to grow up that wow. quickly and sacrifice the opportunity of getting a good education mm-hmm. or livelihoods that they deserve and um, take care of everyone else. And by the time they're almost done taking care of everyone else, there's children now as well. They've got children. They have to feed these kids. They have to make a plan. They have to make sure the kids are taken care of. Uh, care of. And I think I drew inspiration from those aspects because for me, it takes a special kind of person or individual to be able to give up those things and not grow up resentful and not be bitter and also be able to get to a point where you 
are mature enough to know that these are my circumstances, mm-hmm. but the best that I can do is just try to make sure my kids get the best education. And once they through the education, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think that's more, definitely more where I drew my inspiration from by seeing those characteristics in them. And even with them, with the little opportunities they got, they, they work so hard. It's just the pity we live in a world that's a bit unfair. Yeah. And, um, the fact that they could still stay so genuine and loving and caring, even they, even though they went through some of the most unfair and traumatic experiences in terms of family dynamics. And you know when you're the last born as well, you sit on the outlines seeing everything happen. Mm-hmm. And they still nice people and not horrible and they still love even uh, people even those who hurt and wrong them so i think i drew inspiration from that and i just thought that if they were able to still be such amazing people i should probably go out there in the world and go like do some greater things because they couldn't have gone through those different struggles for nothing there has to be something that comes from those experiences and yeah i think i'd say i took it from there I praise single mothers because I was raised by one. Yeah. And the way you just describe your mother and obviously later on then finding love mm. and with your new dad. Mm. Like how you explained, how you described her strength is, is really amazing. And I just want to ask you, in what way do you think you embody your mother's strength? And yes. in what way do you think her strength has prepared you in life? Um, I think I'm, I've, I embody resilience. Mm-hmm. and also a bit of the nurturing spirit. So I don't just open up to anybody any, uh, very easily because I know myself, and I know I grab that tactic, uh, that not tactic, what's that word? I grab that aspect from my mom where she's a natural nurturer. So anybody who's hungry, she'll dish up for, oh, wow. you know, kind of thing. So even my dad as well has those, the, that aspect as well. But um, I took definitely resilience and nurturing. Because mm-hmm. when I even start something or I do something, I want to see it grow. I think probably that's why I love flowers so much because I enjoy watching them grow and being a part of that growth process. So I definitely took the nurturing one and the resilience part. And when it comes to how did um, prepare me, it actually made me realize that life is unfair, but you have to get over it and get things done. And not to also be ashamed of my reality. Okay. So if you are poor at that point, yes, you are poor and that's okay. Yeah. But now you have to think about how you're going to change that reality and that circumstance. Mm. And I think for her, raising her children was her way of finding a way to change her circumstances, I guess. Wow. So her biggest hope was in you guys. Mm-hmm. Even though she doesn't say it much, but you can tell. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, she reminds me so much about my mom. Like she, she's exactly that. Like so much happened to her, but like she still is able to love regardless, yeah. and able to dish for anyone who comes, even when she doesn't have anything for herself. You know? Yeah. And not even complain. And literally, the only time we find, I'm sure my mom is probably like that as well. The only time she'll say she needs help is literally if it's at rock bottom, rock and bottom it's the pits, and yeah. that's when she's like. Oh, yeah, no, it's bad. It's all gone, Tanam. Yeah. 
So oftentimes I always find it hard. I always think that it's hard to follow an unconventional route, especially yeah. when there's one that people deem as highly off. And I know this because I'm in the unconventional route right now. So you decided to study communication management. Mm -hmm. And uh, you said in one of your interviews that not so many of your uh, families actually supported that. Yeah. Yeah. So how were you able to actually decide on it regardless of the pressures to do otherwise? And how did your family eventually come to support you? So I think mom and dad were not the people with the issues. Okay. Everyone else was the it's one with the issues. It's always the case, right? And I'm just like, <laughs> like, guys, where do you enter? Because yeah. um, I think this is also the problem with the way the South African educational system is set up. Because mm. I was also one of those who's like always top three in the grade top 10 on a rough year maybe number five if it's a rough year mm. <laughs> if it's a good year number one number two we are fighting up there up top and the perception at the time was that if the child is smart and gets a's mm. um that child must become a doctor or an accountant or an engineer or all of these common career like all of the, the careers that people assume guarantee you money and I remember I actually almost my initially before I even realized that there's a career called communication, I was going to actually go uh, study medicine to become a dermatologist. Mm. But was it something that you wanted? When I was a child, yes. Oh, okay. But as I was getting older, I was just like, Ish, like, what's going on, guys? Yeah. I don't know what I want to study. And in my matric year, I was fortunate enough to have a conversation with my LO um, teacher. Because at the time, I was the public relations officer of our RCL committee. And um, he said that, you know what's your problem? You're really thinking about making money first instead of going with your passion. Oh, wow. And he was like, you already know or you already know where your strengths are and what your passion could be. You just worried more about... You want a certified career where mm. when you enter that market you make money and he was right and fortunately then i then went to career counseling at um at one of the university's open days wow and whilst you were still in high school yeah in great in matric because wow. you remember they like have they used to have now they don't do it as often mm. but they used to have these open days and a lot of the universities where students whether it's grade 11 or 12 students could come on the day and come and ask questions so they actually had career counseling service on that open day and i went with my sister and I told the lady that look, I like my I like my mathematics. I like I'm, I'm good at math, you know. Like I like my <laughs> fancyish, not fancyish. I mustn't say that. That's the wrong word. I like the difficult subjects, but I also am good in communicating. I'm also good in PR, and I don't know what to study, but I know it's more in line with anything to do me with the PR side of life. And the lady said, um, we actually have. I think I've got the perfect thing for you to study. I'm like, what is it? She's like, um, we've got a course called a BCom in Communication Management. At least in the BCom part, you'll be able to do the statistics and the mathematics related oh, stuff wow. that you like. Okay. And then with the communication management part, you're able to expose yourself and learn more about whether it's PR, communications, and then marketing. I was like, oh, okay. And then at the moment, I knew that this is the course that I'm going to study. Mm. And I then spoke to my mom about it and dad. They were concerned about the fact that I might struggle to get a bursary because at that time it was a 
unconventional thing to study because mm-hmm. everybody else is sponsoring everything like accounting, engineering. And it's so funny now because some of those careers are actually going to be so affected negatively by AI. Yeah. But anyway. No, true. <laughs> you know, true. So thank goodness I took this route. <laughs> but um, they're worried about whether I'll be able to get a bursary because for them it's like, ish, manaka, but communications do companies even sponsor mm-hmm. bursaries like that i'm like maybe because it's a bcom i'll be lucky and fortunately I, I i did get a bursary okay um my teachers even got to a point where on one of the parents day meetings three of my three different teachers and the founder that i'm going to do or study communication management they said to my parents and they were like what? Why don't you stop her from making wow. this choice? It's not the right choice. She should be studying engineering and accounting. She's got the mental capacity. She shouldn't be doing communications. Where's she going to work? And stuff like that. Wow. Fortunately, my mom and dad were like, Let it, she'll decide for herself. If it doesn't work out, she'll figure out how to sort it out if it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. Even other family members, communication management, what is that? Why is she going to study that? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Mm. And it's it's quite, I think it's quite sad that a lot of our teachers get to advise us wrongly. And so many of people will tell you stories about that and where mm-hmm. they ended up. And really, it's never really where we wanted to go to. Exactly. You know, and even I've heard of someone telling me that they once told me that you don't need to apply for a bursary. They'll come hunting for you. <gasps> And they, had to st- yes. and they had to stay at home waiting no for people way. to come and headhunt him. Yeah. Headhunt him. He doesn't apply for a bursary. Dude, I feel like our teacher needs, uh, they need to be educated themselves, really. It's, but, it's problematic. You know, I think the problem is that sometimes it's also just a lack of knowledge in those circumstances because yeah. teachers have their role to play, but where. Where's the parents in terms of that? Where are the siblings? Where are the aunts? Aren't they asking the child, have you applied for a bursary? Mm. I remember my mom and my dad, they, they would always, every second week, did you apply for your bursary? Have you submitted? Have you sent this and Were that? you the first to make it to varsity from your home? No. My okay. sister did. Um, it wasn't TUT before. It just was Twanetek, I think. Okay. So she went there and she did. Uh, she studied IT there. Okay. And then uh, my step-siblings, they didn't really finish much. <laughs> and okay. then And then I was probably like the second in terms of my mom and my dad's side, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm asking this because usually our parents get to learn from the first one who goes to varsity. Like, yeah. okay, we need to do these things for the others who are still going there. And I think okay. probably that's why they pushed me to make sure I found a bursary somehow because mm. my sister struggled you a see. lot yeah and it's also the, the 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 negative effects of education sometimes especially um tertiary education if you don't have the money for it and you not get these student loans and you not you don't have, your parents can't afford to give you the financial support that you need it's hard because it's hard yeah because even when you get done you're sitting with debt i don't know how many years it took her to pay yeah. off that student loan yeah and you're just like whoa i don't want this guys it's mm, not nice mm. so later on you landed up in marketing as you said and yes. your career grew beautifully from there and every time actually when i looked at your story for me it was more of preparation needs opportunity and never about luck certainly yeah (laughs) so i want to know did you always know that you were destined for greatness because i believe i think it goes back to the first question i asked you Mm -hmm. but did you know that you were always destined for greatness um i felt it 
not mm. even no is I don't even think if no is the right word, but I felt it. Okay. And I thought, and for me, I think the thought process was that there's only one way out of this, and that's to become ten times better than I've ever imagined. Wow. So I always felt it. From the time I was a little child, I always felt it. I, I don't know if it was intuition or what, but I've always felt it. I and you know that's a story of all great people. <laughs> I promise you, that's a story of all great people. They always knew it. Yeah, you can feel it. Regardless of how bleak the situation were, they always knew it. Yeah, and I think also, it's also important to also listen to your intuition. Yeah. Because even when I also think about the career thing, I started asking the uncomfortable questions already in matric. Am I sure that I want to become a dermatologist? To be honest, no. Because I'm going to be talking to people who are dying. And I'm going to be having conversations instead of inserting some needles where they need to be inserted. You know? Mm-hmm. And at that moment... My intuition was like, nah, sis, don't do it. And I'm glad I listened because had I succumbed to the different pressures, I, I might be speaking a different story now. Yeah. I might be waking up in the morning not excited about going to work or growing my career. Yeah. You really are an example of exactly what you talk about, that really following your intuition can get you to a story that you want for yourself. Yeah. And no matter how long it takes, actually, the last guest I had, it took her a while, but she is where mm. she wanted to be eventually. Um, I want to know then. So oftentimes we glorify, as I said, oftentimes we glorify the end product, mm-hmm. the outcome of things without mm-hmm. actually recognizing the background that it took. I want to ask you, were there any sacrifices that you had to do and things you had to learn to prepare yourself for the spaces and would I say positions that you got to occupy oh yes a lot Mm. i sacrificed a lot of potting (laughs) (laughs) we'll start there and um, i also deny myself certain things so even for example when i was a teenager i wouldn't be engaging in any reckless behavior and my focus would be on whatever happens you just need to make sure that you build the right profile and you work on yourself in such a way that you'll be good enough for a bursary or you'll be good enough for a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. I would be at church maybe five times a week because oh. that was my manner of escape from the circumstances of uh, at home. So if it was in church like three to five days a week, I'd be at pro meds after school or I'd be mm-hmm. playing soccer. So I found things to keep me busy. But at the same time, that meant that I'll forego certain experiences like maybe dating throughout high school. I didn't date that often um, or even partying that much. Even when I went into varsity, I probably only started potting properly after I got my first job um, and that also came with circumstances because as much as I had a bursary accommodation had to be paid uh, books had to be paid and most of the money went to the three main things books tuition and um, accommodation so even my mom and dad obviously now they can't afford to send me money the most they'd send me on a good month was a thousand rand extra mm. and that's what I had to use to get food and whatever extras I needed to get. So when some of my friends in high school were going to your wimpies in the middle of the month, and they'd ask, hey, come with us. I said, no, I'm just going to sort out something in the flat, and then I'll just end up eating noodles because I just couldn't afford it. And I didn't want to get the funny looks of, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want a pity party. I don't want a pity party. Most people don't even know um, the realities that I came from because I hid it very well. And for me, hiding it was my way of not allowing it to define me. Yeah. And as much as it makes it difficult to tell people that, no, like, guys, I'm going through a lot, um, I dealt with it my way and I grew from that. 
but definitely sacrificing going out, partying and all of that. Because at the end of the day, even if you go out, you do need money somehow for mm. something. Um, even when I started with wealth creation for myself and I started um, having stability in my career, I mean, I took time, for example, to buy my first car. I only got it this week, you know wow. what I mean? And you also deal with perceptions because everybody's looking at you and they're like, she's got a managerial title. Where's her car? And she's like, past 25, way ahead, you know? And um, initially, I wanted, for example, to buy my car in 2016. But in 2016, we went through a different kind of hell again at home. So from my late granddad passing away to my mom almost dying in a, in a, in a car accident, wow. to me almost dying actually on a Sunday afternoon in a car accident, uh, to my sister losing her job. Wow, uh, wow. <laughs> everything spiraled down. Exactly. Wow. And that was the year I planned to buy my first car um, in 2016. That's when I was 25. And at that point, there's no way you're buying a first car at that point. Um, And we had to deal with all of those traumatic experiences and also experiences from dealing with, for example, family drama that comes or that is attached to things like funerals, for example. There's a lot of um, emotional baggage and pain that you also go through. So 2016 became a very terrible year for me. I remember when I even got the call that my mom was in a terrible accident that I must hurry up. I was at gym in Pretoria. The way I dropped those dumbbells to go to my house to just get one or two tops for, for the next day, rushing to the hospital because I'm praying. And I'm like, God, just at least allow me just like five more minutes with her. Uh-huh. Oh, like 10 more minutes because the way it sounded, it sounded like horrific. Really but luckily she survived it. So sure. it was just one of those terrible years. Terrible, terrible years. So I had to obviously now forego the opportunity of getting a car. But I'm happy with that because at that point, when the year came to an end and things started picking up again and getting a little bit better, I also started asking myself the right questions. What is wealth creation? Hmm. Why are you in a rush to buy a car? Can you buy a property first? What can you do first? And I said, okay, cool. Actually, let me buy my first property first. So I bought my first property at 25. Um, And then I was like, yeah, because I started renting and where we stay on our end, it was like too expensive now. I wasn't going to be paying 6500 per month for mm. rent. And I wasn't trying to live with someone else, to be honest. At that point, I felt too old. I was like, Mm-mm. I'm an energy. I don't want to have energy. <laughs> so um, from there, I decided, okay, I'm going to buy the, I'm going to, you know, be brave enough and I'm going to buy my first townhouse. And then from there, I'll take a wait. I'll figure out the car thing. Let me first get used to taking care of a household and seeing what it's like and that helped because at that point now you started learning things like insurance bond insurance and also knowing now you have to do wills and all of those things that you never think about and you begin to develop a healthy relationship with money now you start understanding and asking yourself do i really need this or do i just want it because and i'm glad i waited because had i probably bought a car then i would have been careless and bought a car that was going to be unnecessarily expensive or even horrific to maintain now i'm mature enough and i got my baby on a very good deal because i waited (laughs) and um and i think those are the little sacrifices you make you have to wait and you also have to learn how to block out perception because people talk you know and for many years every time i get into a room people talk or they have something to say or they expect me to not say anything and then i'll walk in with blue lipstick (laughs) (laughs) in a room full of conservative conservative people who are probably past the age of 40 
And here I am with my small self. <laughs> wow. Oh, goodness. Yeah, you really need to block perception because people would say, people don't know the story behind. And mm-hmm. that's not what they care about, actually. They just no. want to see you. That's why we see so many people actually living in mid rent and doing. Oh, my soul. With those VW. <laughs> no furniture. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, the pressure out here, it's really rough. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's really quite helpful to block the pressure sometimes and focus on yourself and it's hard because sometimes you lose patience mm. i mean for me like public transport wasn't that great like the kind of harassment that you also experience from men is terrible you go into a taxi the taxi driver demands your phone number and you're thinking you know, i want to just get home and if you don't give him he's going to probably tell you to get out the car you get out of an uber someone is hitting on you asking you where's the next party and you're just like guys kind of women in south africa just have peace like, just pay for your service and get out of that. So, to be honest, I'm looking forward to not having to deal with that or sitting in a taxi and having some gent demand my numbers because mm. some people feel entitled. They feel to, entitled, yeah. To, to, yeah. So, that's the one thing I'm, I'm really looking forward, looking forward to. Not having to deal with that <laughs> <Your> anymore. <own> <laughs> <laughs> and I can blast my music loudly and ignore the road rage. And have people. the choice, actually, of the songs to play. Basically. Yeah, oh, that's nice. What were the most challenging parts of your career and what were the lessons from it? Child, girl. You know, ageism is actually another big issue we have in our country. It's a very, very big problem. And it's barely spoken about, no? No, absolutely. Look at other things. Because people don't want to speak uncomfortable truths. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had people, for example, I remember when I started working at one of... uh, the workplaces that I was at that I just recently left. I started working there and when I started, I also started asking uncomfortable questions because for me it's like, um, sorry, why are these things non existent? Like as from a marketing perspective, where's this? Where's that? Where's the actual strategy? I found it quite interesting that most in my entire career as a marketing communications manager at this point almost none of the organizations I've worked for have ever had a physical marketing strategy. Wow. I had to do it myself from scratch or get people to push to do it. And I found it quite interesting because I was like, but how are people doing things ad hoc and not getting the strategic parts covered? How are things not on paper? How are we just going with the flow? So that was challenge number one, realizing that people in certain roles do some things and don't really do some important fundamental things. Um, secondly, I think the other thing was that race and gender are very uncomfortable. So I remember I'd have people ask me, people of, a, of, of from probably the white race or the Afrikaans background, because now I'm, I'm moving to spaces and I'm very vocal and I'm very confident in how I portray myself and I don't care whether you want me here or not. And people would say things like, why are you here? Why are you in sports? You've got to be calm. Why don't you go wow. to corporate? Uh, some people would even go as far, because when I was interning, people, some people would even go as far as finding out what my salary was to corner me and intimidate me and tell me, yeah, but you're only getting this much here. If you went corporate, you'd get triple that. And I'm just like, is that how we're playing it? Okay, cool. Let's see. Wow. And also um, also seeing people's displeasure in my progress. Because people are okay 
with you being good at what you do as long as it's basic. Once you start going a bit too further or exceeding what they anticipated, people start getting very uncomfortable and start some also start doing weird things or blocking out other opportunities or trying to control you or micromanage you. You're just like, I'm not that girl though. <laughs> you can't really be doing that. So um, the race thing was a thing. And also even the gender thing where I don't think South African men understand what harassment is in the workplace. Yeah. Because sometimes like someone would say something weird or would tap your butt and you're just like, excuse me, what the hell is that? And they find it acceptable. And even in that industry that I was in, I mean, some would have intentions to try something, but I think they were too nervous of me because I'm a very, because this one is a communications person. She'll tell all the media what we're trying to mm. do. Yeah, I've even had people who married national representatives hitting on me. And I'm just like, guys, what is this? Where is this behavior coming from? So it's little things like that. And under no circumstances will I compromise my dignity to get ahead. I, if I don't, if I can't get ahead with my qualifications and my work ethic, I'm going to move on to somewhere else where I'll be able to get ahead in terms of those things. So ageism was maybe the biggest one because I know in every room that I got into, I was firstly, before even race came into the, the, to the fold, I was too young. So people would look at me when I walk into rooms, the average age is literally 40 in the oh. environments that I've worked in. Yeah. And now I'm like from 25, because I got uh, my, my marketing manager position at Taxport when I was 25. And when I walk into rooms, people will be like, you were so young, 25, you, wow. Yeah, and people would find it weird. Like they'd be like, why is she here kind of thing? Yeah. And then I'd sit down and then there'd be fundamental things, points that I'd raise and people would be shocked that firstly, I can't speak, it talks. And then after that, the other thing is that, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm dead serious. It's, it's been, I think that's the part that has been so interesting is seeing how people react. And even some people who would have this mentality of, I am older than you, I'm 15 years your senior, and assume that gives them the right to speak to you a certain way. Mm. I've comfortably told people that you will never speak to me like that ever again. I do not care who you are, where you're from. If you're president of South Africa, I don't care, but you're not going to talk to me like that because some people would come across like that thinking that maybe they're my parent and I'm their child. And I'll tell them, sorry, mamas, we're both earning a salary here. I'm here to do my job. And you either respect that or just don't talk to me and allocate someone else to do it. Mm. Yeah, I but think we forget to draw that line. You have to. You have to because at some point, if you let one person do it, other people follow suit. And you also have to know, and I think that's where it also gets challenging for young professionals, also know the balance of we're in a very cultural um, or different cultural dynamics in South Africa when you work in those spaces. Some people want to be referred to as Mr. or Mrs. Some want to be referred to as for, on a first name basis. So that's the first awkwardness that you have to deal with people because you don't know, are you Mrs., are you Madam, or Untate, or Wabud? And then when you're done with that reality, uh, because you're younger, if you call someone else by their first name, they get upset. I remember when I started a job at another organization, um, there was a lady, um, she was much older, and in an email, because I'm new at the workspace, and in an email I put her name in, dear whoever, and um, she was so upset, she told the person who sent me, as well as the main boss, who do I think I am, to call her by her first name. Sure. Wow. And I'm just like, 
Pakili Bitola, hi guys. <laughs> so what was wow. I supposed to do? And the reality is that they didn't tell me the surname. They told me her name only. So what must I do if I only know the, na- the, the name? And, and also, I- it's, it's, it's not safe to assume. Exactly. Especially if it's female. Mm-hmm. It's not safe to assume. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that you have to tippy-toe around. You see, now we're not here to actually do the work, but to manage other people's emotions and etc. Yeah. And wow. also the language thing sometimes. Because I remember there was a time where I walked into a room and they were speaking a certain language. And I thought in my mind, I'm like, nah, guys, this can't be it. Excuse me, guys, I don't understand. Can we speak English? And people's faces are like... Because people don't want to prepare for the new South Africa. People want to be comfortable in whatever ideologies they have and whatever realities they used to have. And that is why some people are so overwhelmed lately with change and with the way the workspace is changing. Because people got so comfortable knowing that maybe they are certain color or race would progress. But how are you able to do that? Like, how are you able to do that, basically? Do what? <laughs> to be brave enough to actually... Just voice out what you think. Look, basically, I, look, I grew up poor. There's nothing that gets worse than that. I grew up in the pits and I had to survive in Soweto. Mm-hmm. Now I must come all the way to Pretoria to made up a pie. No, guys, it's not happening. So, <laughs> you know what? Because sometimes, especially when you are from those conditions, you feel like you are inferior at all times. So oh, therefore, yes. your, your voice doesn't matter. No, at that point, I think I realized that if I went through those other circumstances, there is absolutely no way it should be okay for someone else to speak to me in any way that they feel comfortable in. And I think probably for me, Kokasi, growing up in Soweto as well, from a confidence perspective, as much as people may be poor, there's a sense of confidence that comes from township culture somehow. <laughs> that's why when you walk down the road, even the guy who's the most, I don't want to say least attractive, that's not the right term, but the <laughs> brothers who's, you know, who knows he's not your type will still be confident to be like, yeah. there is that essence that comes from growing up in Kukas. But I think also for me, the confidence came from the fact that I've got nothing to lose. I really have absolutely nothing to lose. I don't have parents who are going to ask me, why did I say this? Why did I do this? I don't have a family name to keep up. I'm just going to do whatever I can do, whatever I need to do to get by in my career. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it also takes you being able to also read situations. I think that's also what's a blessing. What, the, what was a blessing in disguise was the fact that growing up in those different environments and observing the different family dynamics and the different traumas that we went through, I was already able to start reading and understanding people and knowing that there's some ways to say certain things and there's some ways where you sometimes or some days or ways where you have to draw the line. Okay. Okay. But what has been instrumental in your career and building up your career? Some people will say mentorship and etc. What has been instrumental for you? For me, it's discipline. Okay. And, um, never never relaxing so you see people get into a certain career space and they get comfortable for me i always believe that in the next two to three or next two to five years there's always going to be somebody who's going to be equipped to replace me and that's how i've always looked at my career so i've always looked at being disciplined and always upskilling um after like if a year goes by that me studying a new course whether it's just an online course or whether it's like a six months course or whatever the case may be 
if a year passes by and well, it's time, go, you need to go upskill. You need to remind yourself certain things. And I always study trends in my, in my industry. Mm. So by the time people realize what trends are about to happen, I've already tried my best to study like trends two years in advance. So for example, somebody who does that very well is someone who is not a lot of people's favorite right now. If you observe Beyonce, if you look at the reason why she stayed relevant, yeah. she did things literally. She's quite smart. Exactly. So I always try to look at my career like that. At this point, what are the labor laws also going to look at and accommodate? Am I in a negative position or positive position? But if I, even if I am, what do I have to back it up? Do I have the qualifications to back it up? Mm. Uh, do I have uh, the right work experience? And have I managed the tactics? And I think the biggest one, though, was definitely when I started in my career. The first five years, I said, I'm not going to worry about making lots of money. I said, I'm not going to worry about money, but what I'm going to worry about is building my skill set. So every tactic you can imagine in marketing communication, I can do. Whether it's writing articles, doing press releases, doing media planning, to personal branding, to social media, content planning, every aspect you can imagine in the field of marketing and communications, whether, whether it's advertising, branding, every aspect. In the first five years of my career, I pushed to learn everything, even from website management, every little thing that we all take for granted. I learned all those skills. Because we take the little things for granted so, so much. Something as writing a simple, well-worded email is not something that a lot of people can do. Yeah. Um, so that's what I always try to advise young people to do. The first five years, don't worry about making money. Build all the skill sets you will need to become the best manager or best officer or best whatever category you need to become. Equip yourself to be that. So at least now, when I started getting into a leadership position and I started having to lead a team, I knew if one of them was trying to dribble me and say, no money, but this app doesn't do this and that. I'm like, mm. then I already know that I, oh, this, this one thinks they're dribbling me. <laughs> or somebody maybe struggling with aspects like maybe writing, for example. I still know that I can proofread, proofread and even rewrite some things or okay. do things by myself. Because those things matter. Because you never know when, if, especially in a team circumstance, you'll never know who's going to get sick. Or you never know who's going to disappear. And sometimes when they disappear... You can't leave certain gaps open, especially with the way that the marketing communication industry has evolved. You can't leave certain gaps out because things start to go down. Mm. So you have to always be moving on a high trajectory so that you can always be consistent with the brand or else you lose the brand value or the brand essence in a very short space of time. Sure. Okay. All right. So we're going to go to marketing right now <laughs> because there's a lot that I really want to learn from you. And mm. I'm just going to ask one generic question, which is, what is mostly key when marketing your business or your brand? can be a small business or your brand. What is mostly key? To understand the business that you're actually in. Okay. So what usually happens, often at times, and I always say to people, when someone says, I need a marketing plan for A, B, and C, I ask them, where's your business plan? What do you mean? No, where's your business plan? Um, no, we don't really need it. I'm like, no. You see, there's a perception that marketing must sell whatever you have on offer. But if the fundamentals of the actual business are not well-defined, and if you don't actually understand what the what on earth your business does, you're wasting your time. No marketing can fix a business problem. Mm. So it always starts with understanding the business. 
So understand what is the business? What is the purpose of the business? What is the business serving? And then you can start thinking, okay, now how can we market it? Once you understand clearly what your business targets are, because marketing is actually supposed to answer the need of you meeting your business targets. But if you don't have a business plan or business strategy, what is marketing then going to do? You're just going to waste money on little things to hype in a few business aspects. And then you'll build all the hype, but your business will not deliver or you brand yourself incorrectly in the marketplace that you're working in. That is so true. And that is the most dangerous part when you can't deliver, but you've drawn attraction. Exactly. And yeah, then we remember you for that person who wasn't able to deliver on what, you know, they promised. So yeah. Exactly. And I I often realize at times that people's biggest problem is that they never actually understand what the business is or what the essence of the business is. What is the purpose of the business? What need is the business serving? Because marketing is not supposed to serve a business problem. As much as marketing can help you identify a need in the market, that usually happens a little bit past the existence of the original business or the big, the bigger brand. Only then when you start realizing, oh, actually people want mascara for lower lashes that's separate where they can actually get those little combs. And you're like, okay, cool. Let's incorporate that. But that comes from the identified need from an already existing business concept. Okay. Yeah. So so you would say that it's much more safer for you to actually build your thing first before hiring into getting into the market space. Yeah. Like marketing it. Yeah. You cannot, because you cannot market something you don't understand. Yeah. That's so true. Because who's going to be a target market? I always think that I'm so fearful of success because of that attention. And I don't know if I'll be ready yet, you know, and not ready as in like mentally ready to get it, but like the responsibility that comes with that. It's a lot of I think that's one thing that people undermine mm-hmm. that even though you don't have to be perfect, but really you need to deliver a hundred percent. And people will expect you to always be available to deliver. Yeah. yeah. And there should be clarity in what you are here to deliver actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I forgot to ask you one thing, <laughs> which is so important. With, with the demands of your work and what you just actually spoke about, how are you able to practice self-care for yourself? Because I think it's something that is so important, especially for people who are in corporate and just generally in life. I travel. I like going out to travel. I go on adventures with my friends. So we'd either go for a run because I've got some friends who've got this, I don't want to call it a terrible habit, but they've got this terrible habit of wanting to do extreme sports for birthdays or mm. going on a 10 kilometer, 21 kilometer run. I'm like, no, miss me at that 21, maybe 10 sometimes, or maybe five when <laughs> I feel like it. But I, I definitely travel when I get a chance to, I just leave and I just go refresh my mind. Like this weekend, my girls and I are going to Cape Town Yay. for like a vacation. Um, and I also do a lot of spiritual work on myself. So I do go to church. I do read my scripture. I pray a lot. And um, the most important one as well is that if I don't feel okay, I need clarity on things, I shut out noise. So I disappear into my own space. And people usually cannot find me for like a day or two because then I need to now figure out what's going on and avoid being drawn to different energies. So I'm very, very cautious about when especially now for example i've had a lot of life moves in the past couple of months so i don't say a lot on social media because there are too many moving parts or i don't move around in certain spaces because i don't want to distract myself or be drawn by the different um, energies because i do believe that energies have a big impact 
on certain things, certain moves, and can also affect the flow of your own aura, especially when you're making different moves. Whether it's spiritually, for some people, maybe gintozaza, you know, mm. you know what I mean. Mm. <laughs> and um, and also um, so that's definitely one of them. And I always every once in a while go to the spa. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, no, it's okay. A girl's gotta keep the skin good. <laughs> <laughs> so i really want to close it off now with just closing questions actually with 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 so much that you have achieved i would say so young (laughs) (laughs) um we need to celebrate that honestly really i I feel like we barely celebrate people achieving things and even yourself you know celebrating Mm. yourself so with so much that you have achieved so young what is money shooting up for next oh i need to get a master's now yeah. some some time. Um, I think I definitely want to also do a bit of more interactions and engagements with especially young people. And I want to share my story a bit more before another brand decides to tell it for me. Can it be shared <laughs> a lot more? <laughs> um, so I, I, I definitely want to go around and I want to interact more with people okay. and um, hopefully inspire young people to just go forth and conquer because we do underestimate the power and impact of our stories. And we also don't realize that we also can serve as role models or sorts of inspiration for people who grew up in the same circumstances that we grew up in. When a certain brand obviously included me in a campaign, when they called me, they were like, actually, we have a bit of questions because we heard a few things about you. So can you kind of tell us about it? And I unpacked it for them and they were like, oh, wow actually, we need to do a proper full ad on that. And I'm like, okay, cool. So including the part where I was selling sweets? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, and that video is like on over 28,000 views on YouTube. And I'm just like, what is this? Like, <laughs> girl, like, wow. Hey, I, I watched that video over and over again. And I promise you, so many people see themselves in your story. Yeah. And just back to the question that I asked you in the beginning about someone modeling a life that you wanted in your life. Sometimes you don't see it around you. Mm. Sometimes you can actually find it on YouTube and see yourself in that story. Yeah. And that's what we undermine most of the time about our stories that actually there's a girl like me, someone who's hoping yes. for that, you know, from Umtata or whatever, mm. who doesn't have parents at all, who's in an yeah. orphanage, literally no one there models mm. any life that she wants. So. And even hearing parents saying, I'm going to show my daughter this. I'm going to show my children. Doesn't it bring you to tears? It does. I mean, I was actually overwhelmed by the okay. response. I was like, because you know, you know, I'm not. I don't like the spotlight unless it's just me and my friends and me having a good time as a little group. Publicly, I've always preferred to be a little withdrawn because mm-hmm. my job is like to make everyone else popular or make the brands popular or market things out there and i found i was be- beginning to find too much comfort in just chilling in the background and it feels like as i get older and as i grow in my career people are trying to pull me out of that safe space and now i'm being forced to now actually share things that i'd never speak about like ask me 10 years ago to talk about the things that we just spoke about i doubt i would have but now, because I understand the importance of my story and my experiences, I realize that telling it as authentically and as truthfully as possible has so much impact and makes such a huge difference in people's lives. 
and we always underestimate that especially as young black people we always think we all go through the same things as budaki mm-hmm. so it's fine we all know what it feels like not to have a bread or meat for a week or something we all understand those circumstances yeah. so we move on from that we actually don't realize that there's actually people who either go through the same thing or people who don't even know that we live those kind of lives yeah. and i think if we started sharing more of our stories we'd be able to eliminate a lot of things and that is why i look also in my career the one thing i always say to people when people look at my age and try to judge me by my age i tell them that some of the experiences that i've gone through subside the amount of years that you've been alive on this earth wow and, <laughs> yes because people assume age is a defining factor of yeah. maturity or definition of your experiences and it's not Mm. Some of us have seen things and experienced things. I mean, from living with like my brother was a drug addict for example, and you look at those aspects and those dynamics and the impact those things have to knowing watching maybe someone literally be on the brink of death right in front of you, you know, when you grow up growing up kokasi. So there's a lot of aspects that we take for granted and we assume because I'm older I've lived a more fruitful life mm. or a more action packed life. Oh, I've seen a lot. more than you did basically yeah so true so what would you thank your young self for people always say what advice would you give to your young self but what mm. would you thank your young self for blocking out the noise this i thank my young self for blocking out the noise and just surging forward okay. with lack so the last one being what advice would you give to someone who is living in conditions whereby greatness does not look possible for them So I'd say to people you don't really have control over the circumstances that you were born into but you have a choice on how you change that so choose wisely. Mm. Well, wow. I'm about to cry. Please don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it was it was really a great conversation. Thank you, thank you so much. I felt like you were talking to my younger self. Oh. <laughs> I hope that your story continues to inspire a lot of people and I hope that you shared actually. Yeah. Let it come from you. <laughs> and I'm yeah. do more of that now. Yes. Thank you so much money. Thank and you for thank your time. Thank you for having me. If there's anything that you'd like to hear from the podcast, feel free to let me know on our Instagram page at the Journey on Earth podcast and don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified every time when there's a new podcast coming out every Tuesday and also review us. Let us know what you think about the podcast, rate us as well. I'll chat to you guys next week. Bye.